0: Awesome. Welcome to a new episode of the Front End Happy Hour. I'm excited for another panelist interview. We've done a few of these already throughout the year. Did myself, Jem, Stacy, Mars, Shirley already. Now in this episode, I will be interviewing Brian Holt to learn more about his background. Brian, thanks for agreeing to do the interview. It's been a while having you on, so I'm excited. I know our listeners have been waiting for an interview with you, too, so this will be fun.
1: I'm excited. I know you can't fit me and Jim on the same podcast anymore, so that, that makes sense. And what? why is that? You know, I'm, I'm just uh, too big of a deal for Jim these days.
0: Love it, yes. And <laughs> I hope he listens to this, too, and it will just be a great trolling moment. Yeah, it's great.
1: That's, that's what I'm going for. This is just a an hour-long troll of Jim.
0: Okay. I, I like this. I feel like we can slide that in here and there. It'll be fun. So, I mean, let's start off with some easy stuff. Brian, where did you grow up?
1: Uh, I was born and raised in Helena, Montana. Uh, I grew up there for 10 years. And then the, the next, I don't know, 15 or so I spent in Salt Lake City, Utah. So Mountain West,
0: not too far apart from each other. But yeah, those are the, the two places. What made you uh, and your family move from Montana to uh, Utah? Well, my dad worked for the company I've been
1: moved, IBM, right? So uh, IBM is infamous for moving their people over the country. And so my my parents actually moved a lot before they moved to Montana, and then they managed to kind of plant some roots. But eventually, IBM closed all of their uh, Montana offices. So we were actually supposed to move to Atlanta, uh, oddly enough. And then my dad last moment was able to talk some sort of deals that he was able to move to Salt Lake City instead. My dad is very much a Mountain West person. You will never get my father out of the Mountain West again. So yeah, it was for IBM. My dad did technical sales for IBM. So if you've ever heard of IBM DB2, which people still use, uh, that's what my dad used to sell back in like the
0: 80s and 90s. That's really cool. Um, also, I'd never heard the acronym uh, for IBM, like the, obviously the joking one about moving. I had no idea. So that's something I learned today. Yep. Yep. No, it's, uh, if you talk to like anyone who's worked at
1: IBM, you know, back then it's a different company now. Um, or kids of people like that,
0: they will, they will definitely get the I've been moved. So funny. Well, that's cool. I mean, you got to stay at least in in the mountain range area, which is awesome. Um, And I mean, Salt Lake City is beautiful. So what kind of things did you do growing up?
1: Well, I mean, growing up in the the snow laden lands of uh, the Rockies, you just kind of have to ski. So um, I definitely grew up skiing quite a bit. Um, I just, my dad's a very outdoorsy kind of person so uh we had horses i grew up riding horses despite the fact that i'm very allergic to that so i was always uh, hopped up on benadryl so i was like half asleep every time i was on a damn horse that was certainly part of it i played a lot of soccer growing up and then i I just i loved uh video games i played a lot of video games growing up that's kind of the nice thing i was like I, i mean i'm how old am i i'm like 34 yeah i'm 34 um so like when i was born like the NES and the Atari 2600 and all those things were out and so i kind of grew up in like a, a tech heavy household because of my dad working at IBM so we always had new computers we got a pentium the first week they came out i had a 386 in my bedroom that i was able to like hack on um so i learned to code fairly early as well um my eldest brother um wouldn't let me play video games until i had done a bit of coding which was a pain in the ass. I hated him for it, but it got me here. So, uh, uh
0: both I love you and, and fuck you, Ben. Uh, <laughs> what, what was the reasoning for that he would make you code? Like why? He just, he was a
1: engineering student at the time. And he thought that, um, learning to code. First of all, I think he wanted to like make games. with it, And we did, we made a couple of like little tiny dumb games together. Um, so he thought that that would be a venue for that. And then he thought it would just be useful for me to know how to do. Um, and then it was—it t- turned out it was because I went into my programming classes in high school and I just aced all of them because I'd been doing all the
0: hello world stuff for you. That's really cool. I mean, it's funny too that he like was making you do that and you probably were like, yeah, why? Like, <laughs> Yeah,
1: I remember on my birthday, he bought me the Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, but uh so i opened it and he's like cool now we're going to code for two hours before you can play this and i was like i I can't i don't want to and he's like doesn't matter it's like i won't let you play it it's my gamecube uh until you've uh finished writing this like i think i was writing like a little quiz app or something like that yeah no i mean
0: obviously i benefited from it now but at the time brian was not very no i I mean that seems cruel too it's like here's this amazing game that you were excited to play guess what you just have to think about it and go do this other yeah. task that you don't want to do that was ben oh ben uh. obviously thankful for it now but yeah at the time probably not so much it's
1: nice He can not issue a rebuttal after after this so uh we can blame this all on ben
0: yeah i like it and somehow we'll blame gem for something later yep. gaming like what what kind of games are you playing like on you know nes and probably super nintendo i've been thinking of and then eventually the 64, then the GameCube. Yeah, what what kind of games are you playing?
1: Um, I mean, I I have some vague memories of playing like Pitfall on Atari 2600 or playing, I don't know, like Mario and Duck Hunt and stuff like that on NES. But like my first, like more you know, more concrete memories is I remember opening the Super Nintendo on Christmas. That my, actually my brothers got it, not me. Um, and then I got. Uh, like Donkey Kong Country and Final Fantasy III, and some of those games, um, and that's those are the games I really remember playing a lot of. And then I played a lot of computer gaming at the time. I played a lot of like Starcraft, um, and then eventually like Warcraft III. And at one, here's a f- fun weird fact: at one point, I was world ranked in uh, a mod. Of Quake Three called Weapons Factory, which is like if you ever played Team Fortress, that's what, Team Fortress and Weapons Factory were like competing uh, mods, and then Team Fortress won out. But there was another one called Weapons Factory, and so anyway, I was I was world ranked at, at Weapons Factory at one point, and I was like, I don't know, thirteen or something like that
0: that's wild and so i mean if you think about that now you probably would have been like a twitch star at that point because people are like i want to watch this guy play
1: this little shit just get on there and own like grown-ass men playing yeah that was that was me at
0: the time that's really cool um i love that did not know that so that's a really cool like fact your brother was probably the one who introduced you into programming like that's kind of what kicked it off yeah uh he to had me started writing c++ that was the first thing i started writing because I think
1: that's what he was writing in his, uh, college classes. Um, and then I got into high school after spending probably two years writing C++ and I had to write Visual Basic 6 because that was the only class they offered at my high school. Uh, so I write a, I wrote a decent amount of, uh, VB 6. Um, and then further into high school, I, ha- I took one Java class and then I had like another class that was just like, general programming from a local community college. So I went through a bunch of languages in that one. That's where I learned. Uh scheme, it's where I learned um some PHP, not very much. Actually that's not even true. That wasn't PHP. It was a different scripting language. Anyway. Uh, scheme. Uh, it might have been Lua actually. Uh, and then more VB6. Um, so yeah, the up until uh high school it was C and Visual Basic and Java. And then probably by the time I got to college, it was mostly just Java. And that's what I took in college. Cause that's what my university offered was, was all Java classes. Um, and I ended up teaching the first two levels of Java programming at my university. I, I had this professor that really didn't like to teach. He was there for research. And so I got hired as his teaching assistant and I walked in the first day and he's like, yeah, I will. He's like, I, you are doing your job if I have to do nothing for my students. So just take everything. So I, uh, he gave me like all the assignments and stuff, but I had to teach the class. I had to grade the assignments. I had to help them with their labs. And uh, totally not what I was expecting. Was re- I really enjoyed it. I re- at that point, I thought I was going to be a university professor. Um, but that, yeah, was t- that was all in Java. And it was just kind of by accidental happenstance that I ended up in web programming. Yeah, it was totally unplanned for.
0: That's kind of cool too, like the teaching aspect. Like I didn't know that that's like you know probably your early uh, instances of teaching because you were a strong teacher like i've seen you teach many courses over the years front-end master's courses like they're solid like and you're a really great teacher and so it's probably because of that moment being like sink or swim brian you're teaching the class that now you have you know been able to leverage those skills yeah i,
1: I appreciate appreciate that thank you um it was certainly where I like realized that like this is something that I legitimately enjoy doing. I enjoy taking concepts that I understand and breaking them down into pieces that you, um, that a different person wouldn't understand, but they can put those pieces back together and, and come to the same understanding that that I have. Um, that is a really rewarding cycle for me. Um, and I, I I mentioned this a lot before. If I if university teaching and development and product management all paid the same I would be a teacher but it's just not right I would make a 10th the amount of money that I make and work probably
0: 10 times harder I think you pretty much summarized that exactly <laughs> When you were in high school is it, did you know like I'm going to be in programming like cuz it kind of sounds like you were looking for courses with like VB6 and like looking at different things um, did you know that like all right I'm going to go to high school and then go for schooling after on programming. I thought I'd always be around tech,
1: but I I didn't think I was going to come out and like be a programmer that that wasn't actually really ever my intention in high school and even into college, my, actually my degree, um, which I dropped out of college, right. But my, uh, the, what I was enrolled in was bioinformatics. So I had a lot of biology classes. It was actually primarily a biology degree with basically a minor in computer science more into how I got my first developer job. I was working in a biology lab at my university. Um, and I was just like a, a scut in the lab, right? So I, I did basically all of like the pipetting and stuff like that. So like I, now we all, we talk about PCR reactions all the time, right? Cause of COVID I ran PCR reactions for like three years. Um, so That's I,
0: wild. It's like, weird,
1: right? It's weird how that worked out. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm very intimately aware of how those work, right? So you basically just pipette a bunch of uh, reagents into a gel, and then you run it through a, like this like electrophoresis uh, machine, and it separates the DNA strands out into bands, and then you can compare that versus like known uh, other samples, right. That's how they can tell if it's, you have COVID or not, right. It's like, does your DNA of your virus line up with what we've known COVID looks like before. So yeah, I, I was doing that, but I was doing it for, um, like the tree of life research. We were researching decapods, which is like crabs and shrimps and hermit crabs and lobsters and things like that. We were kind of trying to figure out how all those things fit into the tree of life, um, cause it's kind of messy. It's like, you, you would think that like, there's very cleanly lobsters and there's very cleanly shrimps and crabs. And I was working specifically on crabs. Um, and it's not true. Like there's actually a lot of this around decapods, right? I don't know if you've ever heard of the term, the cancerification of animals, which is basically that ev- all animals, if you let them evolve long enough, start to look like crabs.
0: What? Yeah. I had look no it idea. It's weird, right? Oh man, that is so weird. Like such a random thing to look like too. It's it's uh, an example of convergent evolution where like crabs are just really
1: good at existing, right? Their 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 form works very well um given the evolutionary pressures of of earth basically. Um due to that, everything that you say looks like a, looks like a crab, there's a decent chance that like they're very unrelated from each other, right? like two of the samples I was looking at were as different as like seals and giraffes. Right. So like, they were very like pretty, I mean, they're mammals, right. But they're pretty far apart on um, the, the the tree of life and same thing with crabs. Right. Uh, anyway, so that was, that was interesting. I ended up actually publishing a paper on it um, while I was still in college. I thought I was going to go into that. And then uh, a very long story short, basically uh, I had a, uh, opportunity to write for another paper for nature magazine, which is like, you know, the pinnacle and my postdoc that I was working underneath basically said like, I'm not, that's awesome. I'm not putting your name on the paper. I'm going to put my name on the paper. And I went to my professor and my professor basically said, that sucks that your postdoc said that. However, she has to do that or she will never get a job. Right. So basically what's happening is she's going to steal a bunch of your work. And then what's going to happen is you're going to get to her position and you're going to have to steal other people's work. And that's just how this like circle works. Right. And that sounded awful to me. So I, I uh, took a, a different part of what I was doing uh, in that lab, which was, I was preparing um, samples to enter into the BYU supercomputer, um, which is like this computer that they use to like, uh, run these like uh, you know, advanced computations that at the time you couldn't run just on a desktop, but they had, the samples had to be put in like a particular format and it was basically just nor- data normalization for DNA samples. It's essentially what I was doing. And I was writing that all in BioPerl, which is a, a flavor of Pearl. Um, I realized that I could take those skills and I could immediately just leave that laboratory without an undergrad or anything like that. And I could make more money than my postdoc was making. And she was 10 years into her journey to try and become a professor, which she did by the way. And while I'm still a little bit over that like that interaction, I understand why she did what she did. So I'm not actually not that mad at her either. Um, so that's kind of what I did. I was, I was planning on just taking some time off, getting like my first job, getting some like financial feet underneath me. Um, and then finishing my school at the university of Utah. I transferred down there. Um, but I ended up getting a job at the MBC affiliate for Salt Lake city. If you've talked to anyone from Salt Lake, they all know what KSL is, which is basically, uh, it's the NBC affiliate, but it's also, people don't use cars.com and, uh, Salt Lake. They use KSL. They don't use Craigslist. They use KSL. They don't use Zillow. They use KSL. Like everything of all those kind of classified things ended up on KSL. And that's what I worked on. I worked on like the cars portion of it. And, um, I mean, my rent was 250 bucks my parents, uh, were paying for my insurance. Uh, so basically my only expense is 250 bucks a year and I was making 45 K or something like that. I feel like the, like a fucking king. Um, so I, like I, cause I could just do whatever I want. I, I, inst- I, I suddenly had real adult money and I had no idea what to do with it. Um, which was great. Um, and so I kind of just effectively dropped out of college because At that point, I was like, I can go back and finish my degree, but it's going to take me forever. I'm probably going to have to leave my job and I'm way better off my career if I just stick with stuff and follow this through. So that's kind of how I ended up uh, dropping out of college as well.
0: Any regrets on that one?
1: Regret's a complicated word there. I always wanted to get a degree and I still don't have one, um, which I'm I'm sure will talk about this later, but I actually just started my master's of business at at Seattle university. So I'm actually now finally fulfilling that goal of mine. Um, but objectively it was the correct career path for me at the time. It would have been dumb to do literally anything else. So, uh, I'm sad that I didn't get my degree, but I don't regret the decision. The decision was the right one.
0: That's awesome. No, I think that's, it's always cool because people you can take all these different paths. And I think that's awesome to hear like, yeah, it wasn't right for me at the time, but yeah, like we, you know, like you said, we'll talk about the master's degree, but that is something that you're like, now I'm going back, which is really cool.
1: That's, I mean, a piece of advice that I try and give everyone is like, I'm going to come with and tell you my story of what worked for me, but there's a trillion variables going into this that you're not seeing, right? You're getting a very surface level take on what what my pathway is. So you You shouldn't try and replicate how I did it. You shouldn't try and replicate how someone else did it. Like you can talk about someone like more like Mars, right? That has like a very, uh, methodical and direct path into tech. And her path is amazing. And she deserves to be where she is because of the path that she took. Um, but mine's much messier and weirder. And, um, both of those paths made sense to us at the time. And so I guess my point I'm trying to make here is you got to find your own path because, my path, if I, had tried, if I had been very set on following the same path as Mars, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, but I think Mars is where she is today because of the
0: path that she chose. I like that too. It's like, yeah, it, it's kind of that like things happen for a reason type thing. Like I'm, you know, it, it's like, it is is what it is. And all those factors, like you said, it's like from afar, it looks like you just chose this path and it makes sense, but it's like, yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into it. So that's, that's a cool thing to hear. So you had the first job working at car classifieds essentially and uh what what was the next job after that so for like two years uh they treated me really
1: well like i learned a bunch of stuff there that like was like would be considered like remedial now um i i came into the industry like this weird moment where it was there was like a shortage of junior engineers like the colleges weren't producing enough. So it was really easy to get a junior developer job. And I, I hesitate saying that because it's probably gonna be discouraging for a bunch of people because it's really hard to, to get a junior developer job now. I didn't really have too hard of a time. Um, I to kind of started to take a step backwards. I actually had an internship first. I actually worked for a, a multi-level marketing company in, uh, Salt Lake City first as an intern. Um, and I seriously walked into this interview they handed me a printed out piece of paper of PHP and I was like, what do you think this does? And I fucking guessed. I had no idea what it did. I was like, this looks like authentication code. Cause I saw like login and password and stuff like that. It happened to be correct. Right. And so I ended up getting an internship based on that. And that, like that really was my gateway into tech into uh web development. Cause like I said, I hadn't seen PHP at that point. Um, and my, the job I was interviewing for was computer programming intern. I had no idea it was for web or scripting or anything like that. I just assumed I'd be doing Java, right? Um, and that's how I learned PHP. I, I literally showed up for my internship and panicked and learned PHP as fast. I literally went to, I left my first day of my internship. I drove to Barnes and Noble. I bought a PHP, my uh, SQL and CSS book. Uh, from site point, I still have it somewhere in my shelves. Cause I like, it was literally like my first uh, foray into any web programming. And I read it in like two days. Like, so I, I just panicked and did everything I could. It was one of those thick books too, right? Yeah. No, it was like, it was like yeah. five or 600 pages that, I mean, that, that's that been kind of a theme of my career as well as I throw myself into situations that I have no idea what I'm doing. And then I just
0: sink or swim and, and, and so far have barely managed to continue swimming that's awesome i mean but the sink or swim mentality works too sometimes like where you're just like you gotta learn it right it's a forcing factor yeah. i mean i'm not going to suggest people throw that like put, intentionally put
1: themselves in those but uh um i mean like one of my big mantras is uh success is opportunity meets preparation um so I, have been extremely fortunate in the opportunity side. There's something you can do to try and put yourself in interesting opportunities, but some of it's just allocated by who you are and what you look like. I'm a, I'm a white guy. So I get more op- opportunities, just thrown my way. Um, and like, we like to take a lot of credit for these because of like, well, I was prepared, right? That's the part that we get to own is like, if I get, if I'm ready to seize upon these opportunities, uh, then I'm going to, you know, I, I deserve credit for that, which you do and um no mm-hmm. one should be able to take that away from you but you need to also recognize that not everyone gets opportunities like you do and so that's that's the part where i'm incredibly fortunate is like i was a dipshit at that time like to objectively i was just not a responsible good well-adjusted human being at that point um but i had some repeated opportunities thrown me like some that i messed up and some that i didn't take and things like that but i eventually got the right ones and i took them and i You know, it's easy for me to look back and like, look at all the cool things I did and all the things I deserve because I did all those things. But it's also uh, kind of on me to reflect on like, I had a lot of help. I had a lot of luck. I was in the right place. I was the right skin tone. I was the right gender. Like all those things, those pieces kind of just fell into place.
0: And so it's, you got to kind of take stock of all of that that's good to reflect on too and i like to like i mean you were young at the time too and so like yeah you're you're maturing as an adult and like you're you're not aware of all these types of things but taking those chances and and you know you did dive in and worked hard even the fact that you read that big textbook just to be like oh my god i have to know php on the job like that that's that's hard work it's not easy to read those big tech books either yep for sure
1: but i was also really fortunate that i had it it's actually ironically, Nikki, my wife's best friend gave me this opportunity. Nikki and I weren't even dating Nikki and I barely knew each other at the time. Um, but she's like, Hey, I work at this company, dude, you should come apply for this internship. I'll recommend you. And, and that's actually what, uh, really, I think pushed me over the edge versus the other five candidates that were.
0: That's awesome. I mean, it says a lot too, is like, I think about that always like often trying to like, you know, bring someone in or, you know, just, Hey, you're wanting to apply. And I know you, it's like at a job, it's like, Hey, if I can Get you in a little bit further that it goes a long way it really does especially like being on the hiring side is like you have to talk to a lot of people and so if someone hands you a resume or you know puts that leg up it goes a long way um
1: so that that was my internship that was at new skin which is a well-known mlm company um i'm not a huge fan of MLMs, so not definitely not an <laughs> endorsement of them um then i was at ksl and then i was at ksl for about two years and then My brother, my older brother, not the coding brother, my other brother, Chris, um, he had a tenant move into one of his apartments that he owned. That was a, an executive at a company called needle. And so he told me, okay, you should talk to this guy. And so I ended up talking to him and then, um, he convinced me to join this new startup new wish. I think it was, had been around for like a year or two at that point, uh, needle. And so. I went in and I interviewed at this company and, um, you know, had like a really good time. It was like a real, like I had like a startup vibe, like even though we were still in Salt Lake city, they had like ping pong tables and like, uh, you know, it was an industrial warehouse. It, like it was as much of a Silicon Valley type startup that Utah could support at the time. Um, lovely people and all that kind of stuff, but my, my interview for that, this is another one of those just dumbass sink or swim, Brian getting weird opportunities kind of moments. So I went into this interview and, um, interviewed with some lovely people. Um, I, I, some of them I do know, listen to this podcast. So hi, Travis. Um, and interviewed and I, um, they ended up asking me a lot of CSS and JavaScript questions. I was very distinctly a back end developer at this point. I had worked primarily in PHP and like MySQL and Mongo stuff. That was really it. I only touched the front end when I had to. Um, I was working with, with Jen Luker, which I imagine many of our podcast listeners know, uh, at the time. And she was doing all the front end stuff when I was at KSL. Um, much better than I would have done. So I left KSL and I was expecting my title when I, and the, I, I passed the interview at uh, needle and I was expecting my title to be junior backend developer. When I got there, I was expecting to write Python and work on that stuff. And I got there and my, uh, business cards that they had pre-printed for me on my desk said senior front end developer. And so that's awesome. <laughs> uh, I had another panic moment. I was like, I don't know JavaScript that well. Right. And so I pulled the same thing. I, I think I like, I bought a course or something like that, but I like, I really quickly spun up on JavaScript. I'm trying to remember what they were on. They, I think that it was just like a jQuery mess that was, uh, inter- intertwined with, uh, Django. And so spun up on that fairly quickly, did a lot of, you know, reading on CSS. That's where I learned CSS really well. And then there's this new hotness in the market that was called AngularJS. Um, and so we decided to move a lot of our stuff to this. I, I wrote a lot of Angular JS while I was at uh, Needle. I was only there for six months. Uh, I actually quite liked working there. Um, but uh, yeah, that's... That's where I, uh, attended my first conference. That's where I gave my first conference talk. Um, cause I had attended a, uh, so it wasn't, it was the first time I gave my conference. I had attended a couple of other, other conferences, but I went to fluent for the first time, which was like a really big, script. Oh, wow. that's a
0: huge, huge conference. Yeah. yeah.
1: RIP that, like uh, that's really where I got my big start into speaking is I, I showed up to fluent, it's gotta be like 2013 or something like that. 2012, 2013. And um, I gave a five-minute lightning talk. So I had applied to, to give a talk. They turned all those down, but they accepted me to give one of the little lightning talks, ignite talks, if you remember what that format. Yep. It's a five-minute talk where the slides auto advance, right? And it's so you have to get your timing down really well because you don't get to use your clicker. You have five minutes, and then you are done. Uh, it turns out that is objectively the worst way to start your speaking career. The shorter the talk, the harder it is 100%. Like if you're going to give your first talk, give a 20, 30 minute talk because you, you can be, you'll be surprised, but when you're on stage, you can ramble, right? And like, you can kind of explore and you don't have to have everything down perfect. Your timings don't have to be super like well thought out when you're on, on stage for five minutes, you have to be, uh, super on the mark or you're going to fuck up your talk, right? So anyway, I gave a five-minute talk on Yaoman, which was a brand new technology at the time. And uh, right before I got on stage, one of the other speakers just pointed. I was like, "Oh, hey, I know that guy. He maintains Yaoman. And I was like, "Why, why, why did you tell me that?" So I got, also got really nervous. So actually, you can—it's on online. You can search for like Brian Holt ignite Fluent, and the video will come up, and you can see me shaking. Like I was like, if you look closely, I wasn't shaking that bad, but I like I was—I was terrified.
0: I mean, it was your first talk. Fluent is a huge conference. Um, I actually think that was my first time attending Fluent was um, like around the 2013 time. So I may have been there. I don't remember if I saw that lightning talk, Brian. But yeah, I mean, your first talk in general is nerve wracking. But like Fluent was a pretty high bar. And then, yeah, you have Yeoman creator there. Cool. Thanks. Awesome. I got off stage and I thought because I was so
1: just... And I was like, I thought I had done terribly. Like, I thought I was like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. And I legitimately was walking off stage thinking, it's like, I, I don't think I want to do this again. This was so hard. Uh, and Peter Cooper and Simon St. Laurent, who are the two people that ran the conference at the time, uh, came up to me and was like, that was a great talk. You should give a full talk next year. Like, let us know next year. We'll get you on to speak next time. And that I I do, and I've told this to Simon and Peter before is like, I
0: credit them quite a bit with like me not ending my public speaking career right there. That's awesome. And sometimes it all it takes is that little bit of encouragement and like recognizing that like, yeah, you did, you did good. I mean, it was, it was huge. It was everything. So, I mean,
1: like that's another thing is like recognize when you're in positions where, where you can give a little bit of encouragement and how far that goes, because I'm sure to Simon and, uh, uh, Peter that like, that was probably just a throwaway comment. Like Simon, when I brought it up to him, did not remember it. Um, but it, I mean, obviously I'm talking about this probably a decade later. So it made, it meant the world to me. Right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that was fluent. I was at uh needle and then um, I, I used to hang out on Reddit at the time and they had posted a job description for Reddit in the Salt Lake City subreddit. No other way around. They had posted a job for Reddit in the JavaScript subreddit. that said, like, this job is located in Salt Lake City. You must be located in Salt Lake City. And I, was, I had no intention of applying for the job. I hadn't even invested in Needle yet. So, that, so I was really not interested in moving uh, companies at that point. But I was just in the comments, like so people are saying Salt Lake city sucks. I was like, no, you suck. cause it was the internet I was an adult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so eventually I got a, a message like a, a DM on, on Reddit saying like, Hey, you're a JavaScript developer. You're in uh Salt Lake city. Would you like to come work for us? So I went, uh, and interviewed and I was just telling, I was like, like, I have a lot of hesitancies. My wife has a lot of hesitancies about, uh, you know, leaving this company, even though like Reddit's really cool. So the, he's like, just come down to our office, meet us. And there's only five people in the Salt Lake city uh, office at that time. And, um, it, they were in this like really shitty building, like objectively terrible. So I was going from this like really cool startupy kind of company to this like dungeon with no windows. Like they had five desks that were crammed in this little space and they had told me, was, like bring Nikki we will convince her as well. So Nikki came to my job interview with me and uh, the the head of the Salt Lake City office just took me in the back room. He's like, just tell me what you want. And I was like, well, I was like, I want, you know, 110K, which was, I think I was making 75 at uh, Needle. And, you know, I want to, you know, have a good work-life balance. And he's like, done. I was like, I can do that for you right now. Like, here we go. And I was like, oh, shit. That's amazing. So he, oh God, this is still a sore point for Nikki. He walks out of this, like me just talking one-on-one is like, here's Brian, the newest Reddit employee. And Nikki's like, what the fuck did you do? Like, why, why would you leave this other awesome company? Like with beautiful offices to this dungey dungeon is like, you're making a massive mistake. And she was pretty mad at me. And, and to this day, uh, and it's pretty fun. We can talk about how this happened again. When I applied to Netflix, um, But like, I'm very cautious to not like always check in with Nikki with these, you know, big life decisions, even if they're very obvious. Obviously this was a very obvious yes. Like they were paying me significantly more and it was Reddit. Right. Um, you still gotta ask your wife. Right.
0: Oh, it's always good to check, like, check in with someone who knows you really well. And, like, maybe you jump at chances too soon or all those things. And, like, she can kind of, you know, play the other the other side of the coin to just try and, like, help you really make the right decision.
1: Oh, yeah. That's how I ended up at Reddit. Um, I was the director of... Uh engineering on like experiments basically, but I was director of myself, right? I actually had no reports the entire time I was there, despite the fact that I was in a managing ladder there. If you could consider Reddit having any ladders, um, Reddit was like I was employee number 29 or 30 or something like that. So I was really early at Reddit. Um, so it was still, you know, the wild West when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, but that's really like where my speaking career uh, took off. I spoke, so I did speak at the Fluent the next year. Um, I gave a 90-minute workshop on. Uh, we built the same app in uh, Angular, Ember, and Backbone, and that was my 90-minute uh, workshop. It was way too much content, but it was my first workshop ever. Um, but that's where I ended up. Meet, in the speakers lounge, there is where I met Mark Grubansky, who is the CEO of of Masters. He's like, I saw your workshop. It's great. Do you want to come teach it online? is like, I run this thing called front and masters and like, I, I had actually heard of it at that point because I saw that there, like, uh, Mishko Henry and, uh, I think John Rezig and like, there was a bunch it might've been not John Rezig, but there was other jQuery, uh, core maintainers that had done workshops on this. And so they, he had some really famous people. I was like, well, I'd like to be in the company of very famous people in the JavaScript world as well. So yeah, sure. No, whatever. I'll come do it. Uh, and that's really what got me started with front of masters, which I'm literally, I'm going to finish this podcast. I'm going to go back to preparing my next course for front and masters. So obviously that's been a very fruitful, uh, relationship with Mark, and you know, Mark is still one of my best friends. Like, um, the, yeah, I, I literally see those guys all the time. Like, so I made lifelong friends from that as well. Um, so yeah, that was Reddit. Reddit is what actually ended up moving me to San Francisco. Um, uh, cause they closed all the remote offices. Uh, and I was there for 92 days in the San Francisco office. I had to be there for 90 days to not pay back my moving bonus. And... <laughs> I was, I was like, why is that so specific, Brian? All right, this is that's funny. Yeah, no, it, that's that's why. It was very intentional. That's why I remember that specifically. Uh, and that's when I got a call from Netflix. Um, and it was i uh, I'm pretty sure the person I ended up that ended up offering me the job was a. Uh, was your boss, Chris St. Amant, right. He went for a very short amount of time. was my boss as well. And he's like, Hey, here's your salary. And like, you know, Netflix has plays stupid salaries. That's, that's kind of their calling card. Um, he's like, do you want it? And I was like, I'm pretty sure I want it, but I, like, I've done this before. I'm not saying yes to a job without talking to my wife. And apparently I was like the only person, cause I got I heard this from recruiting. I was like, you're like one of the very few people that didn't actually end up saying yes on the phone on that first call with the offer is like, cause they don't want you to go compare offers. Right. That's a very common thing in Silicon Valley. Right. Um, so yeah, I was like, I was like, I can't say yes to this because I have to talk to my wife because I've done this tour before and she'll be so pissed if I do this to her again and bless Chris. I think he's like, okay, that's fine. But can you let me know by the end of the day? It's like, I can totally let you know by the end of the day. So it's funny how that almost happened twice to me. And I, I, I am an idiot, but you I learned, you yeah, learned I from, your learn. you
0: know, you got to pull Nikki in a bit sooner this time.
1: Nikki decides like, yeah, of course you're going to do that. <laughs> the only thing that, I mean, you understand that commute is awful though. Going from San Francisco yep. to Los Gatos every day. I, I don't miss that. I mean, I was, I was in over an hour each way, uh, especially when I moved into Noe Valley. It's just not great. Um, but I, I enjoyed working. I worked for you at Netflix. We worked on some cool stuff. Uh, a lot of the sign up experience worked on TV. Um, I shipped C code at Netflix. That was, yep. uh, that was interesting. I have not done that since and I do not intend to do it again, but,
0: uh, yeah, that, that was good. Um, I, I feel like- you joined my team with me not being there yet. Cause I was supposed to start the same day you were. Um, but my visa took an extra week or something to come through. There's some, some reason I remember it was something to do with my visa. And so I remember coming like and meeting you like that first day, my first day, which would have been like week two for you i'll never forget To you were like you you need to go get lunch soon Ryan. like because remember all the lunches we'd have those box lunches and they would just go really really fast you're like you're probably not going to eat at 10 30 11 o'clock but you grab your lunch now so that you have it and i remember that it still sticks out as like how to procure food I'm, i am actually very good at that kind of advice it was it was like one of the first things you said to me it's like oh here's my manager i should help him out and that was like what you said I, i'll never forget that
1: Yep. yep. Those were uh, it was a good time. Uh, I mean, we had a great time at Netflix. I've, obviously, I'm still lifelong friends with you and with Jem and uh, and Ryan and, um, yeah, and, and, and Mars, right? So, um, yeah, made some really good friends um, there. Made some really good friends. Yeah. So,
0: uh, I guess I'll just finish out my resume, right? So, I ended up at- You have a great resume. And so, yeah. You might- <laughs> a few years um, and then yeah moved on to linkedin uh, linkedin at that point yeah
1: yeah so i went to linkedin um that was nice because like instead of having to go down to los gatos i could bike ride into uh uh linkedin so and, and fun fact is actually derek showers that got me my job and i imagine many people on this podcast remember our friend derek which
0: by the way you should definitely interview derek as well i'm sure he would have a very interesting Uh, take Derek's on my list to talk to and he definitely has an interesting background and like, yeah, it's, it'd be great talking with him on that.
1: So I was at LinkedIn for, and for about six months, I worked in the San Francisco office, which was very intentional. I was on Derek's team. It was great to work with Derek. Um, Derek was doing iOS stuff. I was doing web stuff. Um, but there was just a bunch of factors that made me not happy there. Um, one, I, I didn't like my manager, uh, and I'm sure he'll never listen to his podcast. And if he does, I don't care. Cause I, he and I, he legitimately in one of our one-on-ones is like, I don't like you. And I was like, that's the nice thing to tell your employee. Great, great way to start a conversation with, you know, your direct report. Yeah. So that was the primary thing. Uh, I was working on stuff that I was not super excited about. I was actually shipping more Java code than I ever did. JavaScript at, uh, and and so that was a pretty short tenure i was going to transfer to another team at linkedin which i was kind of sad about cuz that would move me out of the san francisco office down back to mountain view so i was back in that same boat again mountain view or anyway wherever that I is i think it,
0: sunnyvale Sunny- or mountain view i can never I remember
1: think it's sunnyvale yeah doesn't matter it's it's all you know the peninsula to me it's it's a commute Yeah. you you give
0: up that nice bike
1: ride exactly uh, and that is when another, uh, podcast favorite, Sarah Drasner reached out to me and said like, Hey, I'm at Microsoft, we're doing developer relations. Um, are you interested in doing developer relations? And it's because LinkedIn owned Microsoft, it was going to be technically be an intercompany transfer, which means I didn't have to like reset my, uh, like stock, um, or, and I didn't have to pay back my signing bonus, which they gave me a pretty good signing bonus all super positive things. Um, the only stipulation is you have to move to Seattle, which, um, having grown up in Helena, Montana, I like, I went to Seattle quite a bit as a kid. So it was actually, I really, really liked Seattle. So that was actually a positive thing for me. And I actually had been trying to buy a house in San Francisco at the time with just to no avail because it's an insane market. Right. Um, yeah, I actually tried to buy a house really close to where your old house was right in, in, uh, Bernal. Right. And, yeah. I think i offered like the listing was like 800 i think uh we offered like 830 and i think it from for like 1.2 million in cash or something like that like it was just stupid
0: yeah it's like you're you're throwing you're throwing money over top of asking it's buying houses in san francisco is like a complete weird thing yeah it's i think it's gotten slightly better it was even worse back then yeah when you were looking at probably at its worst yeah it's pretty frothy demand was it was just like you had to go right then and there give money and be prepared to pay over asking i think it's it has gotten a little better but i it's still has stories of that too so
1: yeah that's a, uh i applied to microsoft it was a pretty slam dunk interview i got an interview with uh, uh you know awesome people some of them that which i already knew uh ended up working for john papa which again many of you probably know as well um my manager from LinkedIn actually tried to block my transfer because he was a jerk. I don't, I still don't really understand. I just got a message. He's like, Hey, your manager is trying to like not sign off on this and bless the recruiter from Microsoft. Who I told my distaste for my manager. She's like, don't worry. We'll just work around him. He does he has no say in this. Um, so that's, that's how I ended up in Seattle, which is where I still live to this day. Um, I worked at Microsoft for, Three and a half years, so a total of four years if you count my six months at LinkedIn. Um, half that time was as in developer relations with Sarah. Um, that was like 2018. Um, I took 97 flights in 2018. I spent like 130 days in hotels. Um, Whoa! I still have diamond on Delta to this day from flying so much in 2018. Um, it was great. So one of the flight attendants told me, is like, if I had just kept doing that for like another couple of weeks, I would have gotten Delta 360, which means that you were in the top half percent of flyers in a, in a market, which for wow. Seattle is a very active market. So that would have been pretty, uh, nuts. I think I went to like 30 countries that year. I spoke at like probably 40 conferences, um, shipped a bunch of blog posts. So, uh, that was like the peak of developer relations silliness, in my opinion. Um, Microsoft had basically come back roaring with like, we're going to restart our DevRel program and we're going to get all of the, the most famous Twitter, famous people and all the smartest people. And so they en- ended up hiring like a lot of objectively fantastic people. Some of my favorite people to this day, like Sarah, uh, like Ashley McNamara, like Christina Warren, like, uh, Jesse Frizzell.
0: Um, God, they just killed it. Uh, sorry to the there that t- I remember that time. There was so many amazing people together, like under that one team. Even
1: yeah, I mean, it was it was a who's who of developer relations at the time. Um, and like, you can bet that if your favorite DevRel person didn't work, there, that we probably talked to them, right? So we were we were doing everything we could. Uh, and it was a fun time because we didn't really have too many rules, right? We were able to just kind of speak at any conference, do anything. Like I spoke at like RubyConf Kenya, for example. Right. But actually ended up being one of my most fruitful endeavors because I got to meet with a bunch of local startups, help them with a bunch of stuff, connect them to like resources and stuff like that. And also just found out that the, the African tech scene is out of this world. Like they are just fucking killing it. And I, I, I don't know what I expected, which is to say that like, I probably had some preconceived notions, which were certainly incorrect, which is not great on my part, but I went in there and I was just blown away by the stuff that they were doing. like, they're, they're performing at such a high level with such uh, comparatively little resourcing that, uh, I don't know if you want to fund some startups and, and for, uh, you know, less money and get a lot of bang for your buck. I would say, go look at like Kenya, Rwanda, Nigeria, Ghana. There's some fucking phenomenal developers in that, in that area. Anyway, not, so, um, that was great because we had a lot of, freedom to kind of do whatever we want and seek whatever impact that we wanted. And so when you give someone like, like Sarah Drasner, it's just basically like, here's a ton of budget. Here's a ton of space. Go do cool stuff, right? Someone like Sarah, someone like Simona Cotton, they're going to go and they're just going to exceed all of your expectations, right? Um, that, that, uh, people like that thrive in those kind of environments where they can just do great work and not have someone breathing over their shoulder. The unfortunate super downside of that is that if you tell everyone that there's a, there's a different class of person that's going to take super advantage of that. Right. And they're just going to fly on fancy, uh, airplanes to fancy hotel rooms and do nothing and take advantage of that until someone tells them to stop. And so that was kind of our problem, Microsoft, and I'm not going to point fingers at anyone. And honestly, I don't really know. The only thing I can say is that our budget was out of control and, uh, Not a lot of oversight and there there was certainly some teams not performing as well as i don't say teams but some people that were not performing as well as others so they kind of cracked down on it pretty quickly uh and that really happened probably uh god that would be the end of 2018 i think something like that maybe a bit after that anyway sometime in that time frame maybe like mid 2019. And I kind of saw the writing on the wall and I was also very sick of getting on flights. Um, There was a time that I was getting off a plane from Singapore or India or something like that. And I got a notification while I was leaving the airport. of like, hey, here's what you need to plan for for your trip to Europe in a couple of days. And when I saw that notification, normally I'd be over the moon because I I love both Southeast, Southeast Asia and I love Europe. But the idea... Of getting off a plane and then getting on another plane, right? That was so abhorrent to me at that moment. I was like, I have to stop doing this. Um, so that's when I saw a position posted by uh, Amanda Silver, who is the corporate vice president now of uh, the developer division at Microsoft. So like a kind of an adjacent sister team. There's DevRel and DevDiv, right? And there's they sit pretty close to each other in Microsoft. To be a program manager for JavaScript developers uh, and work on VS Code. And so, all my favorite things required way less travel. Working with people that I liked, I had followed and respected Amanda forever. And so, uh, I applied for it, got it, and that's that's kind of how I accidentally became a PM. And like just continuing the trend of Brian accidentally changing jobs, right? Um, and so, I was a PM. I worked a little bit on VS Code, and I worked a lot on JavaScript experience on Azure. That's kind of where I got more and more cut into the the, the developer. Uh, the DevOps, the infrastructure kind of world of cloud computing, um, still something I really enjoy to this day, uh, and just really, really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Um, so my job was basically one meeting a month I would have with Scott Guthrie, which is like he's a you know one of the more important people in the senior leadership team at Microsoft, and I would brief him what is it like to be a JavaScript developer uh, on Azure, which. To this day, is still not great. At the time, it was much worse. Basically, if you're a JavaScript developer, you you would not choose Azure ever. I probably still would be pretty hard up, but it's a lot better than it used to be. They made a lot of in, uh, inroads there. Um, so basically, I would, I would go to Teams. of like, all right, you're doing this. This is hard for JavaScript developers. Let's fix it and then tell Scott about it. Uh, and most teams are like, Hey, yeah, please help us fix this thing so that we can go tell Scott about our, our victory, as opposed to, there was one team in particular that said, like, you know, we don't, we don't care. Right. Like we think we're right and you can go tell Scott that we suck, but we think you suck. So that's fine. <laughs> uh, so it was stuff like that. It was a very confrontational job. Like I was, my job was basically to PM other PMs, which was, uh, it's like herding cats. Like if you think, uh, PMing engineers is hard. It's, it's not actually engineers are very reasonable people to work with. It's PMing other PMs. PMs are the least reasonable people in this like food chain here. So, um, I enjoyed that job. It was, but it was pretty stressful because those meetings can end up being pretty confrontational. Um, but you know, honestly, I still really liked it. It was cool to kind of see things that I was doing enact massive change on like the entire direction of a, you know, trillion dollar
0: company, which is, yeah, and something that Microsoft was betting big on too, right? Like, I mean, Azure, they were really going deep on it.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh,
1: so they still do that. Um, that program still exists. Um, it's going well, as far as I can tell. Um, really enjoyed my time at Microsoft. Was not intending on leaving. But another one of, like, my legendary colleagues that I worked with in, in Microsoft DevRel was Suze Hinton, which I imagine many of you know of her. She's a noop Cat on Twitter. Um, she had left Microsoft to go to Stripe, which I was really excited for her for. And then she reached out to me and she's like, Hey, you should, there is a PM of developer experience open at Stripe. And I was like, that sounds really interesting. So I wasn't intending to take it, but I, I did talk to the manager and the engineering manager. And the thing that my manager said that really stuck out to me is like, do you want to be the PM of developer experience at the company that is specifically known for the best developer experience. And I was like, that is hard to pass up. So yeah, which now, now you are at Stripe. Yeah, so now I've been at Stripe for about a year working on, I work on the VS Code extension, I work on the CLI, I work on the server-side SDKs, the React Native SDK, um, the developer dashboard. So I own a lot of stuff, because Stripe is a has a massive footprint with not a ton of people. I mean, st- it, honestly, the thing that, um, Stripe reminds me of Netflix when I was there. Right. It's like uh, a lot of really smart people working on these like really high impact projects, but like,
0: it's kind of a, it's less people than you think working on those things. Right.
1: Actually
0: quite a few people from Netflix have gone there too. Cause like, I know there's a few that you've worked with over the year and like, yeah, there's quite a few people have gone there, and I remember you even telling me that you're like Ryan. It's kind of like what Netflix was when you and I first started, and that that, that was really appealing. It still is. <laughs> uh, That's good. I'm, I mean, I'm happy to hear you're like enjoying it there too. That's a big thing.
1: It's uh, it's been a good time, and like it weathered COVID really well. Um, people still had to use money, right? So, um, it's been it's been fun. I have I have no intentions of moving anywhere at the moment, but. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm enjoying Stripe. Yeah, and that that is my god complete resume. How long did it take me? It only took me like 50 minutes to talk about my resume. It's fine.
0: Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah. I mean, hearing that you're happy at Stripe, I think, is great. I'm curious too, is like what what keeps you excited about tech? Um, I really did love being an engineer, and like honestly, I could
1: go back to tomorrow to being an engineer and be super stoked about it. And um, there was one point I was actually interviewing for a, an engineering job. Um, thinking that I'd go back to it. That was as well as at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've just found a lot of joy in building tools that let people build the things that they want to envision. Right. So that kind of being that force amplifier, right. So that if I can make your job easier, then you can make cool stuff. And then like kind of working on that problem in the middle of how do I help developers work faster and be happier about it? Because I end up solving my own problems, right? Cause I, you know, I still an engineer myself. I still write a decent amount of code. Um, that cycle of, uh, identifying a problem, talking to customers, coming up with a solution and then measuring the results like that cycle is really rewarding to me. So that's, that's the thing that keeps me going and gets me excited about working on stuff.
0: That's awesome. Uh, maybe before we end, I'd be curious if you weren't in tech, Brian, what would you do? Like something completely different, what would it be?
1: The obvious one there would be teacher and I mean, teach anything, right? Like I could, um, I used to teach, uh, Italian to inmates, right? So I, like, I, I just enjoy, um, teaching in general, um, I I have brewed beer like I used to brew, brew a lot of beer but especially when I was in San Francisco and then I I've uh helped a friend brew like large scale. Um that was pretty fun, but it's fun for like you plan the recipes, you plan these things and then you see if you turn out and that part is really rewarding, but 99% of everything else is just cleaning things indefinitely because everything has to be sparkling clean or else you ruin the beer, right? Um so that that would be another thought, um, but I pro- probably not. So yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll stick with teacher.
0: I like that. Um, yeah, and I forgot about the Italian too. That uh, you would you know know Italian very well. Yeah, I lived in Italy <laughs> for two years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's very cool too. That would be a fun. Yeah, just even teaching a language other than coding language, an actual speaking language.
1: The acquisition of language, whether it's programming or spoken, for at least for me, I found were similar processes. We have to learn syntax and organization and, and things like that.
0: Well, Brian, it was amazing having you like back on an episode. It's been a while. Um, thanks so much for letting me interview you. I enjoyed just hearing more depth on the back of your story. I know some of the things, but definitely learned a lot. Any last words you want to share with the listeners?
1: Well, someday we'll have to have a vote if it's me or Jen that stays on the podcast. Um, And I think you know how to cast your vote. Uh, Holt for president. That's all.